a small part of the musical next week, so let me encourage you to come on back and bring somebody with you, and we'll try to get the notes right. So just we'll, we'll work on that part next week. It's good to see some new faces in our crowd today, as always. It's always good to have visitors with us. If you're visiting with us, you are our honored guest, and we want you to feel that way. And just join the service and be a part of us in every facet of it. If you will, will I'm going to ask you to turn to two different passages, John 19, verse 28 through 30, and then also hold your finger in Luke 23. Now, this is the fourth message in a series entitled, The Final Words from the Cross. There are many records in the final wor- of, many, of the final words spoken by famous people, many records of them. But most of us expect people to utter something profound just as their life is slipping away, if you will. But that's not always the case. You've probably heard of the Mexican bandito Francisco Pancho Villa. By the way, he has the distinction of being the only soldier to lead a successful invasion of America. He was renowned in Mexico as a great leader. In 1923, he was shot by an assassin. And his final last words are, don't let it end like this. Tell him I said something great. That's a good thing to think about, I guess. On the other hand, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who devoted her life to serving Jesus Christ and serving the poor and by serving the poor and faced death in 1977. Her last words were, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Over the past few weeks, I've been trying to get you to picture the cross of what's going on there. And by the way, we will wrap this up on Easter Sunday, so it's two weeks from today. Uh, next week will be the cantata. That will take the whole service, so keep that in mind. But we'd love to have you come out for that. And, but plan on coming with us Easter Sunday. In fact, uh, let me just give you our schedule. Easter Sunday, we're going to have a sunrise service outside here, hopefully starting about 6 o'clock in the morning, just as the sun begins to come up a little bit later and so forth. And so keep that in mind. And then we're going to have a church-wide breakfast. I mean, we got we got steaks and eggs and just everything you can imagine. Well, close anyway, but it's, you know, just... Yes, ma'am. Seven o'clock. That's what I said. That's what I, I was thinking seven. I just said six. So, seven o'clock. <laughs> that wasn't up there a minute ago. <laughs> anyway, so keep that in mind. Visitors, we'd love to have you. We've got a couple of other churches that come over and join us. And so we should have a great service, and if you're at another church, then as soon as the breakfast is over, you're more than welcome to go back to your church, or stay with us, for that matter. We'd love to have you stay with us, but it's, uh, I understand that some people need to be at their church on Easter Sunday. That's quite understandable, so if you have to leave, that's fine. But at 7 o'clock uh, Sunday morning, we'll have the early, ride, early service, and then we'll have the, the breakfast, and then we'll have our regular Sunday school and regular church service, and then that night we won't have an evening service since we had two that day. So keep those things in mind. You'll be hearing more about them, but just to have a great Easter service that day. The last words of Christ. But these aren't the last words of Christ, because as you know, Jesus rose from the dead, and he continues to speak today to each one of us if you'll listen to him. These are, that's why we're calling this the final words from the cross. In the first three hours on the cross, Jesus prayed different things. We've looked at these already. First of all, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. 
When he saw his mother standing there, he spoke words of compassion to her and words of encouragement to John. To the thief on the cross beside him, he said, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus promised, today you will be with me in paradise. At noon, we saw where a supernatural darkness just covered the earth. This wasn't an eclipse like people try to tell you because it lasted for over three hours. Eclipses don't last that long. But at this moment, when, who is the, when the God turned his eyes on Jesus the Son, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the pain and the suffering were overwhelming Jesus. Just because he's Jesus does not mean he didn't feel the pain of it. He felt every nail. He felt every insult. He felt everything that was done that day. His, he cried out with, a, with parched lips, I thirst. Probably not too loud because he was about dehydrated now. But in response, the soldier gave him vinegar, which only intensified his thirst. Just before Christ died, he uttered two more phrases, and that's what we're looking at today. If you will, get your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. I've got the wrong one here. There we go. John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30. And I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me as we read these verses together. And as I asked you before, if you will, go ahead and look at Luke 23, verses 44 through 47. We'll get there in just a moment. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled, it, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now if you would flip just a little bit back to Luke chapter <coughs> excuse me, Luke chapter twenty three, verses forty four through forty seven. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into the, your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage that we just read. But Lord, we thank you for this whole story and what it means to each one of us that stand here today. Lord, because without the cross, we wouldn't have any reason to be here. We would have no hope of life whatsoever. And Lord, we thank you for this picture that's drawn out in this book. And that, Lord, you would just open our eyes now that we can truly see what was taking place for each one of us that day. Go with us over these next few moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is finished. What does that mean? That Jesus, he's dead now. It's finished. It's over. Not at all. It means the work of Jesus was completed now. The word that Jesus used from the cross was the Greek word, which means it is finished. 
the work that God called him to do. He finished the work. He did his part, if you will. It meant something was completed. It comes from a word which means to fully accomplish a task. It was the word that would be used by an artist as he looked at a picture he had just almost finished, and he went back and put the final little touches on it. That's exactly the word that's used here. The job is finished. As this artist looks at this beautiful painting he's painted of the mountaintops or whatever it may be, and he's noticed one or two little places that were not quite what he wanted to be. And he took that paintbrush and began to finish it just exactly like it's supposed to be. That's the same word that's used here. It is finished, Jesus said. Isn't it a great feeling to finish something? Now, I know that all of us have probably started projects and didn't finish them. You can probably go to my house where my wife told me to start something, and I, I did. But they just never got finished. She changed jobs on us, probably what it was. But anyway, but it, I mean, we, we, we like to finish things. Some of us aren't too good at finishing. But it's nonetheless, that's, that's how it can be. But it is finished. I can remember in grade school, the teacher would give us a test or an assignment in class, and we would all work feverishly to see who could finish it first. There was total silence in the room as everybody worked hard. The first one who finished would turn their paper over, but put their pencil down in the pencil holder up at the top of the desk. Whenever, you know, they used to have the little desk you sit in and so forth and had that little tray at the top of the desk. And, but, and they'd say, I'm through. Everybody else would look at that student and think, wow, she must be smart. But we soon learned that speed wasn't always an indication of quality. That's what Jesus meant on the cross when he said, I'm through. It's finished. When he said it is finished, it wasn't a cry of defeat that he was finished. It was a cry of victory. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He was overjoyed in finishing the work that God had assigned him to do. Wait a minute, why did God put his own son to death on the most cruel form of punishment he could use, the cross? Why did he do that? Let me let you in on a little secret. He did it for each one of us sitting here today. That's why he did it. He looked throughout history. He looked through the thousands of years. And he noticed a young man that had no hope whatsoever unless he reached down and touched him in a special way. And I was that young man. I didn't understand the story of Easter. I didn't know what this was about. But oh, when Jesus gets a hold of you, He gets a hold and changes your life. That's what the greatest part is. What is it? So it was finished. So what is that? What does it mean? Number one, it means His suffering is over. The first thing that made Jesus shout for victory was the knowledge that his knowledge that the suffering he had endured was coming to a close. He said, well, wait a minute. He was dying. But that was a good thing. He had to endure the pain, and now it was coming to an end. He knew he was just moments away from drawing his last breath. He will get to go return to the Father, rejoin the Father, reunite with the Father. 
as one as he always had been up until this point. His suffering was over. The first thing that Jesus made Jesus shout for victory was his knowledge that his suffering he had endured was coming to the end. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been in a situation in your life when you're thinking, why is God going through this with me? What am I, what's going on? Why am I having to suffer so much? Whether it be an illness or a family crisis or numerous things. But yet, when the end starts getting in sight, you get excited about it. All right, it's over finally. It may last a day. It may last a week. It may last for years in some of your lives. And sometimes we question God. By the way, don't think there's anything wrong with questioning God. God's a big God. He don't, he don't worry about your questions. But if you'll listen to Him, He'll show you exactly what He wants you to do. Just like He did Jesus, His own Son. He said, I've got a job for you to do. Jesus says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. But you've got to. Because without you doing this, those people sitting at Robertson Avenue Baptist Church one Sunday morning have no chance in life whatsoever. Nothing. Nothing else. You say, well, how did it change my life? It can. I don't know if it has yet, but it can. If you'll just re- realize what Jesus has done. Sometimes we think, oh, great, the surgery is over. If you've suffered, you know the excitement of knowing that the worst is now behind you, whatever it is. Over the previous 12 hours, Jesus had been arrested. He had been beaten. He had been scourged. He had been forced to carry his cross. He had had a crown of thorns pressed into his skull almost, under the skin and scraping the skull, jabbed into his scalp, had thick spikes driven through his hands and both of his feet. The excruciating pain that must have been there. He had endured about what was he, what he had endured is about over now, and he could say the words, "It is finished." As horrifying as the physical agony of Jesus was, the spiritual and mental agony of carrying the sins of the world had to be much worse. Remember when we saw we saw last week how that. When Jesus was on the cross, the reason that Jesus, uh, God couldn't look at him because all the sins of yours and mine and everybody since that day began was upon his shoulders. And God could not stand to look at that horrible sight. All those sins of yours and mine piled on the back of Jesus as he hung on the cross. As we saw last week, Jesus literally endured hell for us. When Jesus took his, our sin on his own body, he experienced the hell of separation of God. I've had people say, well, the Bible says that Jesus went to hell for us. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say that. The Bible says he experienced hell for us. He never went to hell because of his sins. He took our sins so we wouldn't have to go to hell. That's a big difference, folks. He experienced the darkness of hell for us. He experienced the agony and the torture of hell for us. As he moved closer to death, death must have seemed almost like a pleasant welcoming. Oh, let's just get it over with. 
Have you ever known somebody was on their deathbed and they literally said words like, I wish he'd just take me? Because the pain is so great and the suffering so great. I remember we had a, an older lady at our church over in uh, uh, Cornerstone over in Texarkana when, before we came here. And she was on her deathbed. And one day I went to visit her. And I mean, she was, it was obvious she was going to die. There was no hope for her. But I walked in one day and she was just angry. I mean, she was mad. And I asked her daughter, son, whatever was there. I forget who was there at that time. But I said, what's wrong with her? And she said she wanted to die. And she was disappointed that God hadn't taken her yet. And you say, well, that's crazy. No, that's great. When you're anticipating what God's got for you that much, that's fantastic. That's a beautiful picture. She was looking forward. Go ahead and take me, God. Get me out of this suffering I'm going through. Because I know what's coming next. And it's far better than this mess. Let's move along. Our salvation is also accomplished. Another com a common use of the word, it is finished, was in commerce. When a merchant had a, offered a credit card, he kept the bill listing the amount of money that the customer owed. When the customer paid the bill, the merchant would stamp finished on the bill. It meant paid in full. So when Jesus cried, it is finished, he was also saying, the sin debt has been paid in full. Isn't that great? I don't know why God loved me so much, but he loved me enough to send Jesus to the cross for me. I've said a hundred times, I'll continue to say that if I had been the only person in the history of the world Jesus would have done it the same way. That's how much He loves us. He loves you that much too. He loves us enough to die for us. Not just die, but to suffer a horrible death. It is finished. It's paid in full. Jesus said it's finished. He was saying the sin debt has been paid completely. The bad news is that we're all sinners and deserve death. You say, well, I'm a pretty nice guy. Compared to a holy God, you're filthy rags, the Bible says. We're not nice people sometimes. Go to Walmart. And watch what happens when somebody pulls in that parking lot, right, the parking place right before you wanted it. All of a sudden, we're not too nice. Even as Christians. We get upset. We get mad. We sometimes say things we shouldn't say. I remember my mother used to say, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. And she did a couple of times. Let me tell you that just for the record. Just, but, but we're all like that. That's our human nature. We get mad when things don't go the way we want them to. And sometimes viciousness spews out. And hatred spews out. And ugly things come out of our lives. Even though we're Christians. It's finished. The word is written in red from the precious blood of Jesus. Your anger, it's finished. Your gossip, it's finished. Your selfish ambition, it's finished. Your drunkenness, it's finished. Your sexual sins, it's finished. Your addictions, it's finished. Your lying, it's finished. Your laziness, it's finished. Your pride, it's finished. Your disobedience, it's finished. 
And that's just the start of them, by the way, that all of us deal with sooner or later. Make your own list of failures that you've suffered, your wickedness, your shortcomings. God has already stamped on your list. It is finished. It's done. It's not the baby in the manger in Bethlehem who saves us. It's the dying Savior on the cross that saved us. You say, that's one and the same. Yeah, but that baby grew up. And at any time, he could have said, no, God, I don't want to do this. I heard a guy preach some time ago, years ago now, and he made the comment, said, Jesus wanted to go to the cross. I don't believe that for a minute. Remember what happened the night before the cross? Jesus prayed three times to God the Father, Father, let this pass away from me. I don't want to do it, was what he was saying. He knew the torture, the pain that would be there. But he also looked down in history and saw every one of us sitting here today. And he says, if I don't do it, there's no other way. There is no way outside of Jesus Christ. Let's move along. Victory does not come from starting Victory comes from finishing. That's why Jesus cried out, it is finished. You can't work for salvation. You can only reject or accept the finished work of Jesus. There is nothing you can do. You're not sweet enough. You're not nice enough. You don't look good enough to get out of it. There's only one way through the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank God he was willing to shed that blood for us. There's not a single thing you can do for your salvation to work for it. There's a, not a thin penny you can spend to purchase your pardon. You can't pay for something that's already been bought. Jesus has already paid for it. You can't. If you could, you couldn't afford it. There's nothing you can do. Understand that. When we walked in and sat down, I noticed... In our church, some men. Sitting not far from where we sit down. I walked over and spoke to him, and I returned to where we were at, and he got up and left, and we had a meal, and when I asked for the ticket, at a restaurant, I'm sorry, I left that part out. At a restaurant, I would sit down, and it's, uh, I noticed somebody across there was a member of our church. And I walked over and spoke to him, said hi and so forth. And he come back to his table, sit down and so forth. When we started to leave, I got up and I went to there and going to pay for our ticket like we should. And this lady said, well, your ticket's already been paid for. I said, how'd that happen? <laughs> I've never had that happen before. She said, that guy was sitting over there paid for your ticket. Now, I could have paid for that ticket again, but that had been silly. Jesus has already paid your ticket to heaven. Did you hear that? Jesus has already paid for your ticket to heaven. All you have to do is accept his gift. All you have to do is accept his gift. That's what Jesus did for us. Let's move along. Now, what if I objected to that waitress that checked, checking us out and said, 
I don't believe you. And I took out a $20 bill to pay for my food. Nope. I thought, what a great gesture. He didn't have to do that. I mean, we had a pretty good dinner. I mean, he, he didn't have to do that. The next stand, Sunday when I got to church, I made a point to look him up and say, hey, appreciate that, what you did. You can't pay for something that's already paid for. Salvation is a gift. You can either accept it or you can reject it. There is no middle ground for salvation. You either take it or you leave it alone. You reject it or you accept it. There is no third option. Jesus says salvation isn't a matter of the head or the hand. It's a matter of the heart. Miss Jordan was baptized this morning. A little over a week ago or so, she come and talked to me, so we went over to the office and sat down. She says, I need to get baptized. And it always concerned me when young ones come. And I mean, Jordan's not that young. She's, she's a, almost a teenager now. But we're getting close anyway. But anyway, it, uh, I said, well, why in the world would you want to be baptized? And she said, because Jesus tells me to. I thought, do you understand this better than a lot of adults do? <laughs> and that's exactly what she did. She knew what she had done in her heart. She knew that the price had been paid for her. And she knew that God had told her to do something else, to follow in baptism. You say, well, why is baptism so important? It's a picture of what God's done for us. Jesus says, tells us to be baptized. I can't explain why he does that. But he says, be baptized. It's a picture of a burial, a person dying, a person being raised up, a new life, and walking a new life. When you get saved, your life ought to change. If your life doesn't change when you get saved, something's wrong with your salvation. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a member of this church. If your life doesn't change, something's wrong with your salvation. You better go back and check some things. But I like it when young people come and say, Jesus has come into my heart. I like that. That's what we need to be like. Father, into thy hands the fellows of God, of God with God is restored. Jesus just was moments away from death. When his last ounce of physical strength, he summoned the energy to cry out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Mark reports that the Roman centurion who saw Jesus die and heard his last words loudly said, Surely this man was the Son of God. How could you see things going on and not believe that? Let's examine those final words real quick as we come in close. He's reunited with the Father. Jesus is going back to where he's been for all of eternity to be one with the Father. It's over. It's finished. Remember in the last week and those hours which Jesus became sin for us? His union was somehow broken with the Father when the Father turned his back away from him. He couldn't stand to look upon the filthiness of all the sins of the world piled upon Jesus. When the Father closed His eyes, the world got dark. It wasn't an eclipse. It wasn't a thunderstorm. It was dark. As dark as any night you can imagine. Moments before Jesus died, the darkness had dissipated. The, the world had 
got dark. The darkness had dissipated. And once again, Jesus was reconnected to the Father. He drops the impersonal address used when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He slips back into that affectionate name he used for God. Abba, Daddy, Father. That's the word he used. He was crying out like one of us as a child would cry out to our mother or father. Help me. Help me. Be there for me. Don't turn your eyes on me. Daddy, Daddy, into, my, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Just before Christmas, there was a story on the news in Shreveport about a soldier coming home. He had been deployed to Afghanistan. This is a couple years ago. Afghanistan for over a year, and he wanted to surprise his six-year-old son. The little boy didn't know his dad was back in town when he showed up as his son's kindergarten. We've all seen these things on news and so forth. The little boy looked up at the man in uniform, and when he realized it was his dad, he burst into tears and ran across the room, jumped into his daddy's arms and hugged his neck. That's exactly a picture of Jesus here. Jesus, remember last week, God says he turned his back on Jesus. Now here he is, and Jesus sees God welcoming him back, and he runs and jumps in his arms as a little child would. That made me think of the joy of Jesus must have experienced as he was once again restored in his relationship with his heavenly Father. Hebrews chapter two, uh, chapter 12, verse 2 describes the cross with these words, Looking unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy before him? Being restored to the Father. Looking for that day when his trial was over, when his situation was, had passed. He was ready to go back to what he used to be. The reuniting of the Father and Son wasn't the only thing that happened when Jesus died. We can also see we are invited into his presence with him. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split. If you go back and read about that big curtain in the temple, it says that it was thicker than a man's hand spread wide open. That thickness of it. They estimated it was about 30 to 40 foot high. Now I want you to get the picture of this. Somebody didn't grab it by the two corners on the floor and rip it up. It was ripped from down all the way, from the top down. It was a special ripping that God says, we don't need this thing anymore. And because of that, now each one of you here today, if you're a child of God, you have direct access to God himself. You don't have to come to me and let me pray for you and, and cover your head with water or whatever we, what do we want to do. You don't have to do that. You just bow on your knees and pray to the Father because that temple was ripped in two. We're also invited into His presence. The most holy place and the holy of holies. Only one man could enter that before this event the high priest. On Yom Kippur, the high priest would lift the corner of the curtain and go into the Holy of Holies where the Jews believed that the Shekinah glory of God dwelt behind that curtain. 
He carried with him the blood of a perfect lamb and sprinkled blood on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, which was called the mercy seat. In essence, this curtain separated God from every other person on earth other than the high priest. He's the only one that could go in there once a year. It communicated that God is so holy, He can only be approached one time by one man and only if He's carrying the blood of the Lamb with Him. When Jesus died, God tore that partition down. It's interesting that the Bible says it tore from top to bottom. A man or men could stand at the bottom and tear it, but it was torn from the top to the bottom. This was not man done. This was God doing it. It was God's way of saying, no longer am I unapproachable because of the blood of the Lamb stained by the cross. There's no more barriers between me and my people. Us. Us is. That's who we are. That's who he's talking about. We have direct access to God today. If, that little word if keeps coming up, if you're a child of God. That's a big if right there. Let's move on. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Who's he talking to? We, us. He says, now the people, my people, can come boldly to the throne of grace. God ripped the curtain of religious ritual away from us. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The safest place in the universe is in the hands of God. That's the place to be. I can't help but think about the contrast between the hands of man and the hands of God. Now, I don't have real huge hands, but God does. My hands don't compare to God's. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was being arrested, he said, The hour is near the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. In the previous 12 hours, Jesus had suffered by the cruel hands of man. But now he was placing himself in the comforting hands of God. You can do that too. All you have to do is place yourself in God's hands. We've all seen the commercials. You're in the hands of Allstate. You're in good hands with Allstate, right? Everybody knows those commercials. After Katrina, we moved to Texarkana the week that Katrina had hit. Of course, we had a gym where we was at, and we had, so it was a Red Cross rescue place, and I thought, man, what in the world did I get myself into? <laughs> but... God had brought all those people from the coast, not only to our church, a lot of the church in that area, and they were just people like you and I. In fact, let me tell you a story. This is a true story. I remember, now again, we started there on Sunday. That happened on the Thursday, I believe it was, before Sunday. And, I mean, it was just chaotic. And all these people were coming up. And our gym, a Red Cross called and asked if they could use our gym as a place to you know, put people and there was, I believe, 175 in our gym. And I remember watching this, and I'm almost ashamed to tell you this, but let me tell you this true story. There was a bus that pulled up, and I just happened to be out there and watch them get off and so forth. And it just happened to be a young, a, bun a bunch of young Spanish boys. I thought, oh, boy, we're in for trouble. But I know there were some older ones there. 
they got situated and so forth, and I thought, I better keep an eye on these guys. But let me tell you what they did. There was one old man. I don't know if he was a grandpa. I don't know who he was. But every morning, he would send one of those boys over to my office and said, what can we do to help you all this week? They scrubbed floors. They washed our kitchen. I mean, they did things you wouldn't believe. And all it was is this, and I'm going to call him a granddad. I don't know if that's what he was or not. But every morning, he'd say, boys, y'all go wash the kitchen for them. And they would take off. I thought, man, I need him to come to my house. <laughs> my boys could use some of this. <laughs> but here's the point I want to share with you. My thoughts were when they got off, oh, boy, here comes trouble. That's what I was thinking. I had judged them before they even got off the bus. This turned out to be some of the nicest young men you'll ever find in your life. And here I judge them when they got off that bus, carrying their luggage they had and everything else to, in this world, I suppose. They were from New Orleans, come up there. And I was judging them for the way they looked. And let me tell you, I had to deal with that for a while because God got a hold of me through that. And I began to see, you don't judge people. God's the one that judges us. We don't know what's going to happen. Have you placed your hand in God's hand? Father, into your hands I commit my life, my finances, my resources, my relationships, my hobbies, my pain, my job, my family. Have you done that? The safest place in the universe to be is in God's hands. People all often ask, how do you pray for someone who is obviously dying? Do you ask God to heal them? Sometimes. Sometimes God does heal them for that matter. But at the same time, you just pray for God. You do what you want and give us wisdom to accept it. Conclusion. So here we have the words of victory from the cross. These words were spoken of Jesus 2,000 years ago, but still contain hope and promise for each one of us. When Andrew Jackson the, was president of the United States, there was a sensational crime committed where robbers hijacked a federal pay, payroll train. One of the robbers, George Wilson, shot and killed a guard. After being arrested and tried, George Wilson was sentenced to die by hanging. There was a growing public sentiment against capital punishment even back in this day. President Jackson issued a full pardon to George Wilson. Unbelievably, Wilson refused to accept the pardon. Officials said that he had no choice since the, since the president issued the pardon. He must accept it. He still refused, so the case went all the way to the Supreme Court in 1829. Chief Justice John Marshall made this ruling, and I quote, a pardon is a parchment whose only value must be determined by the receiver of the pardon. It has no value apart from that which, re he, which receiver gives it. George Wilson has refused to accept the pardon. We cannot conceive why he would do so, but he has therefore, George Wilson must die. Wilson was executed by hanging not long after that. You may think he was a fool for refusing a pardon. But he's no more foolish than people all around us today. Thousands of people all around us have refused the offer that God made each one of us. 
Jesus Christ. Today, somebody with much more authority than the U.S. president is making each one here an offer. We accept what I'm giving you. That's why they do so many religious acts, so many good deeds. The second way of spell salvation is don't. Some people believe that you can go to heaven for doing things you don't for the things you don't do. You don't drink. You don't cuss. You don't smoke. You don't chip, uh, chew. Chip. You don't go with girls that do, for that matter. You get to heaven. Wrong. That's not the way it happens, folks. There's only one way to go to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. I don't care who you are. I don't care how successful you and Lord are in life. I don't care how much money you got, how much land you got, how much everything you've got. That means absolutely nothing without Jesus Christ. These are the final lips. From the lips of Augustine, the great early church leader. Those are the final words of the Protestant reformer John Huss. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, that's the kind of words I want when I pass in this life. And Jesus will be waiting for me. We teach our kids to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, my Lord, the soul, my soul to keep. If I, should wait, uh, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a pretty scary prayer when you think about it. Because you didn't want to think much about dying when you're a child. No matter how old you are, why don't you make this your bedtime prayer? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When you wake up in the morning, you pray, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When you eat or work or sit in traffic or light or pray, I commit my spirit into your hands. Who knows? Maybe your last words will be, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If they are, then your first words in heaven will be, Hello, Father, I'm home. That's what the cross is all about. It's not about Easter eggs, the Easter bunny. Oh, there's nothing wrong with having fun. But that's not what Easter is. Easter is about a man that died for each one of us. And his name is Jesus Christ. And without him, you have no hope outside of this life. Period. Do you know Jesus this morning? Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, for it, Lord, for this time you've given us. As we come to close this service, as we gather to sing these words that we're about to sing, the words that we need to listen to as this verse is saying. And, Lord, we just need the words in our minds. Do I really know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Only you can answer that. I don't know. You can fool me. You can fool everybody in this church. But you can't fool God. He knows. If you don't know Jesus this morning, what a great time of the year, the Easter season, to come to know Him. Look at the price Jesus paid for you. Will you pay it back to Him? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.